Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. On Sunday, you can't get any chicken at Chick-fil-A or at any of Truett Cathy's more than 1,000 plus restaurants. You not only can't get any chicken, you can't get anything else. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm continuing this series on character matters. We've been discussing virtues one by one by one as they are recorded in my book called Character Matters. This book sold tremendously and still continues to sell, as a matter of fact, and is used as a textbook in certain places. And I want to make sure that you get this book. At the end of this podcast, the announcer is going to come on and tell you how you can get a copy just by participating by virtue of a contribution, helping our girls' homes in Southeast Asia and Africa, House of Grace. You can help us help them. We always say we're saving little girls for big destinies. And when you participate, you're helping us save little girls for big destinies. This is the ninth in a series of teachings that I'm doing about character matters, and today's virtue is on reverence. And I am more excited perhaps about this one than I have been in a long time. I've realized it's been a long time since I taught on reverence. And I think I'm going to start teaching on reverence more. And I urge you to not only listen to this teaching, but get the book and read the chapter, chapter nine, on reverence. I think it'll be a blessing to you and may awaken in you some uh, dormant thoughts on reverence as it has in me in preparing for this. And now, as I said, Truett Cathy's restaurants are closed on Sundays. All of Chick-fil-A are closed nationwide, worldwide, I suppose. He has been blasted by critics as legalistic. He's been mocked by detractors for missing out on at least one-seventh of his potential revenue. Yet, he remains amazingly successful. Kathy's quiet refusal to do business on Sunday, the late Truett Kathy, his refusal to do business on Sundays remains unaltered by the bemusement and anger of postmodern Americans. The annual gross income of Chick-fil-A is estimated to be above a billion dollars. That means that the company is missing out on at least $166 million annually. In fact, the amount loss is probably much more since Sunday at most restaurants is usually one of the best days. Ironically enough, because of the after-church crowd. None of that ever changed Kathy's mind. It hasn't changed his, his heirs. They remain steadfast. Officials at Chick-fil-A are clear. Admittedly, closing all our restaurants every Sunday makes us a rarity in this day and age, but it's a little habit that has always served us well. So we're planning to stick with it, end quote. When Truett Cathy launched his first restaurant in 1946, he made the decision to remain closed on Sunday. A loving, generous, and gracious man, Cathy never condemned those who did business on Sunday. He just made his own decision. 
Kathy was not a cold, legalistic man. His decision was made out of respect for one thing, God. In an image of casual disregard for things sacred, Kathy arrived at the decision that keeping his restaurants closed on Sunday was a statement of reverence. He was a successful businessman, a generous philanthropist, and a lover of humanity. He was a giant of commerce, but he was also a man of quiet reverence. Money or no money, the parking lot will be empty this Sunday at Truett Cathy's place. Truett Cathy, quote, wanted to ensure that every Chick-fil-A employee and restaurant operator had an opportunity to worship, to spend time with family and friends, or just plain rest from the work week. Made sense then, still makes sense now, end quote. Any man's true character is known not so much by what he learns or earns or owns, but by what he references. Likewise, entire civilizations are shaped by what they revere. As worth is assigned to things, persons and institutions, a society carves out its own character. A society that revered murderers above doctors, for example, would surely become increasingly violent. However, when the contrast is as obvious as that between doctors and murderers, the point is hardly subtle. It becomes a bit less apparent when the choice is between doctors who do murder, that is, a successful abortionist, and sewer workers who do not do murder. Now, the question becomes more complicated. If virtue is reverenced, virtue increases. If virtue-less success or character-less talent is admired above all, character erodes. If impious rock stars are admired above pious clergymen, the national character is stressed to the breaking point. A dangerous step toward collapse is taken when blatant irreverence is touted as a virtue. Modern American humor is frighteningly irreverent, for example. In the light of the whole counsel of God, we must recapture the sober reality that there are some things that are just not to be made fun of. What is sacred to God must not be funny to us. Americans tend to say this movie was blasphemous and wicked and horrible and murderous and pornographic, but it was so funny, as though that excuses everything. In an interview, a certain TV performer on a popular comedy show explained the huge success of the program. He said that in part it had been the talent of the people involved, but he went on to explain that the success actually came more from their determination, listen to this, quote, that absolutely nothing is sacred. Wow. That nothing is sacred may very well prove to be the epitaph of the West. There are some things that are sacred, some things about which we simply should not make jokes. The jest that is made about the things of God, the things that are high and holy, is to intrude dangerously on the things of God. A massive advertising campaign was used to promote a recent motion picture. Its producers proudly proclaimed the picture as being, quote, wildly irreverent, a must-see picture of the summer. It is discouraging enough when we somehow justify entertainment despite its reverence, 
but when a movie's irreverence is its major recommendation, sin has become virtue and virtue has become sin. When I lectured years ago in African classrooms, many times, I discovered that my students, when I walked in the room, my students would get up and stand beside their desks when I walked in until I offered for them to be seated. I have often wondered if such respect for teachers can ever again be taught in American classrooms. Likewise, many years ago, I taught for a while in Washington, D.C. That job afforded me the unhappy experience of escorting a group of junior high students to the National Gallery of Art. That was an unbelievable experience. I found the experience not unlike attending a debutante ball with Hell's Angels. The reason it was so exasperating was not merely their bad behavior, but their painful sense of casting pearls before swine. I kept asking, don't you understand? This is a Renoir. They would answer, hey, Renoir ain't done nothing in my book. Do they have a sports section? They cared nothing for Gauguin or Van Gogh or Michelangelo. There was nobody, not one name, not one painting, which impressed them. They wanted action photos of basketball stars. The beauty or history of various works was totally wasted on them. Worse was their belligerent refusal to learn anything about it, to be taught or shown a greatness and beauty that was new to them. What grieved me the most was not that we had different tastes, different people liked different things. It was their absolute determination not to be changed, not to be illumined, and most of all, not to be impressed. This is not to advocate highbrow artistic tastes as the ultimate. It is rather to say that there is a danger in the loss of humility necessary to see that a thing is simply wonderful, that it is worthy of my taking notice. The risk of being stuffy and overly formal is real. I understand that. But the risk on the other side of losing respect and dignity and reverence altogether is infinitely greater. Reverence is directly related to humility. There is nothing more obnoxious than arrogant brats who are bored with life. Our society has cultivated a deliberate boredom, a learned jaded resistance to being amazed, to wonder at anything. Many Americans spend their lives bored with everything and are themselves, therefore, monumentally boring. There are certain things that simply demand a response. It is arrogant and self-centered to stand for the first time at the, at the foot of Mount Fuji and say, ho-hum, it's about what I thought. How infinitely more interesting life is with a person who is unafraid to say, I never dreamed it would be this beautiful. I had an experience like this myself. I was with some businessmen at a great luxury hotel where I was to speak. The hotel was a wonderment. In the lobby was the largest indoor atrium I have ever seen and have never seen one larger even to this day. It was a virtual tropical rainforest right in the lobby of the hotel. It had bridges that walked through it, pathways. Above it all, the guests strolled on elevated walkways, looking down and all of the, the beauty of the thing. It was fabulous. 
One evening, as I walked with several businessmen from the convention, I was extolling its virtues. After a few moments of my oohs and ahs, one of my embarrassed associates said, You know, Dr. Rutland, people are going to think you've never seen anything like this. I said, I haven't. I'm impressed with this hotel. Aren't you? They sheepishly and only after furtive glances at each other admitted that they were also impressed. Why were they so reluctant to be impressed? Lack of humility. And a lack of humility leads to a lack of reverence. Awe is a powerful instrument in life to make life interesting. There is something arrogant about a person who refuses to be impressed with anything. We need to teach our young a sense of wonder. There are certain things in the presence of which I simply ought to be astonished. The parents of a bored 11-year-old took him to the Grand Canyon. They seemed unable to make him impressed with anything. Standing at a certain overlook, the boy finally expressed awe at the park guide's statistics. The guide said, this, the right here, this point, the canyon is a half mile deep, straight down. The boy said, are you saying right here, from right here, it's a half a mile to the bottom? They said, yes. He said, are you sure? The guide said, I'm sure. It's a straight half mile drop. Wow, the boy kept saying, wow. The parents were delighted. Finally, he was impressed at something. That night when their son was sound asleep, the happy parents crept into his room to read his diary entry for the day. And they were happy that at least the boy was impressed with something. But the boy's diary entry shattered them. Wow, he wrote, today I could spit a half mile. In the classical antiquated English use, reverence is a verb meaning to bow before, to make obeisance. It is frequently used in that sense in the Old Testament. To reverence is to show respect, to accord some exalted or sacred status. That respect may be at a level that, depending on culture, may require a bow or a special signal of some kind, such as a military salute, to reverence the flag, one places one's hand over the heart. To show proper respect may mean to stand silently. Still again, reverence may simply be a matter of the heart and require no outward demonstration. But reverencing things outside myself tears my eyes off my own importance. When I cultivate the virtue of reverence, of right estimation, what really is important, what is worthy of my awe, I cut away at my natural tendency to make myself the center of all things. The perspective that reverence returns to my life is not only spiritually important, but also it is crucial to emotional well-being. A certain woman in a state of constant depression went to a psychologist. At the end of six weeks of $150 an hour sessions, the doctor said, I'm going to give you a prescription now that will cure you. He wrote this on a prescription pad. Go to Niagara Falls. Check into a motel. Leave your suitcase there and go to the falls. Stand at the bottom observation platform and stare up at Niagara Falls for five hours. Repeat this every day for a week and you'll be cured. She read it and she howled, you quack. I pay you almost a thousand dollars for six sessions and you tell me to go stare at a waterfall 
What are you thinking of? Lady, he explained, I have met with you for six weeks at $150 an hour. I told you to talk to me about anything you wanted. All you've talked about is yourself, your dreams, your nightmares, your worries, your fears, your past. The only thing you need to get well is to see something bigger than you are. A contributing factor to the increasing madness of Western culture is the decline of reverence. The loss of character in the West, particularly the loss of reverence, is a subtle madness. Man at the center of his own will, with all his neuroses and fears, unable to get his eyes off himself, is destined for emotional and spiritual collapse. Alone, a man cannot stand the weight of himself. We must get right perspective to discern that which is worthy from that which is unworthy. We must see beyond popularity, past screaming crowds, more than wealth. Remember he who honors the dishonorable and he who esteems the righteous too lowly are both an abomination to God. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this teaching on reverence. It is part of this series that I've been teaching on Character Matters, my book. I want you to have the book now. And just now, if you'll listen, the announcer is going to tell you how you, simply by making an investment in the value of little girls in Southeast Asia and West Africa, how by making an investment in their value, you can receive this book. We want you to have it. Until we meet again, this has been The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. Wow, another great episode of The Leader's Notebook. Hello, I'm Ronnie Brannon, the Chief of Staff at Global Servants. And as Dr. Rutland said, we want to send you your copy of his book, Character Matters. You can receive your copy by contributing any amount to Global Servants through our Secure Give app on our website. Go to globalservants.org, click the Donate button, and then click Give Online, and then leave your contribution under the Podcast Gift tab. Next, please click Add a Message and include your name, email address, and the mailing address where you would like your book delivered. As soon as your donation is processed, we'll send you an email confirming the delivery address, and we'll get your book in the mail to you by the next business day. Again, thank you for subscribing to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland and helping make a difference for those around the world and helping save little girls for big destinies. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.